Tillamook, Mook, Mook. Welcome to Scream 101. I'm Brennan Klein. And I'm Shannon Shalakian. And if you guessed that this week's episode is based on the Babadook, based on Shannon's terrific, wonderful, rhyming cheese clue, you were right. My dad was actually... I should stop talking about my dad on this podcast. <laughs> well, your dad's the one who likes to guess all the clues, and we're very grateful that your dad listens to the podcast. Shout out to Shannon's dad. Hey, dad. Anyway, he, he uh, guessed based on Sargento, talking about Dario, Dario Argento. That Which was funny. Which probably will come up on the podcast sooner or later. It will. Once we dip into the 70s, after we get out of my 80s groove. Yes. Speaking of 80s groove, Babadook is contemporary, um, going with this new algorithm that we're trying out, and a lot of other things that we're trying out within this week and the next couple weeks, just to kind of get our groove, like Brennan was talking about, on, starting with our new segment. Brennan? Yeah, um, one of the very first new things that we'll be trying out this episode is we're going to be talking about some of the other movies that we've watched in between the episodes that we're talking about. Because every week we'll talk about the specific movie that is the focus of the episode, but we watch so many movies, we can't keep track of them all. More than likely, Brennan will have seen other horror films or gone out and seen films in theater, and I will have just watched some either incredibly bad or incredibly good movies on Netflix. So we're going to be doing this thing called 10-word reviews, where we completely review the entire film in 10 words or less. So, Brennan, what film did you pick? Okay, I watched three movies this week. Oh, God. Sorry, I watched Scream 4. Not as funny as Scream 3, but way more clever. Strange Behavior. Weird Aussie slasher with the kid from Tron peeing blood. The Gallows. Yeah, we figured that out 80 minutes ago, so that's my 10 words or less. <laughs> and uh, I watched significantly less amount of movies than he did, but the one that I'm choosing to review is After the Ball, which Brendan saw me watch probably four times this week. <laughs> and the review is, everything's beautiful and life is a gender performance fairy tale. That's really good. Thank you. All right, let's move on to our main discussion, and as always, there will be spoilers. So be prepared. Okay, um, the plot of The Babadook. As read from the back of the IFC Midnight slash Scream Factory DVD release, Amelia, as played by Essie Davis, is a single mother plagued by the violent death of her husband. When a disturbing storybook called Mr. Babadook turns up at her house, she is forced to do battle with her son's deep-seated fear of a monster. Soon she discovers a sinister presence all around her. So Shannon, um, why don't we get started with our four ratings. So, why don't we remind our viewers, we rate on scariness, campiness, gore, and quality on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being the lowest, 5 being the highest. And scariness, which we're starting with, is measured in screams. So, Brennan, what, how did you rate this movie as far as scariness goes? I rated The Babadook scariness 4 out of 5 screams. Me too. Oh my gosh. I... Oh, this movie was so stressful. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to talk about. Because The Babadook, um, a lot of people were selling it as like, oh, it's the scariest movie of the year, which was uh, 2014. It was last year. Right. I think that's probably overselling it a little bit. I right. mean, it's probably still the scariest movie of the year, but I wouldn't say it's the scariest film. It's just overwhelming. Yeah. It's a stressful, stressful film, but it's not terrifying like it's a different emotion yeah i totally agree there were some scary parts you know very um like the babadook is like on the wall you can't really see him and then he's on the ceiling you know um but the scariest parts were just kind of amelia and 
how she was acting with the Babadook inside her, how she was treating her child, how she was treating those around her, and also the sort of foreshadowing that was given in the film where it, it seemed like she was going to kill her dog and then kill her son and then kill herself. And you were kind of like waiting for those things to happen. So more than it being scary, it was just like super, super stressful. Yeah, because the Babadook at its heart, it's more of a family drama than a horror tale because it's about this woman with uh, basically postpartum depression. Because when she was being driven to the hospital to give birth to her son, her husband died in a car crash. And her son is this really irritating, he's a six-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. He's really whiny, really annoying, he has all these biological functions that he needs to be taken care of, and he's really disobedient, really loud, he likes to do annoying magic tricks. Um, basically, he's a kid and he's irritating, and she has to face the fact that she doesn't really like him. And she wants to bash his brains out like probably most mothers kind of want to do to their six-year-old kids but she doesn't have the support of another parent to help her out with that and the love of her life was destroyed by the same act that brought this kid into her life so she kind of blames him for that yeah absolutely and you you get that throughout the entire film like that is pretty explicit without her having to say it she was actually very amiable throughout the entire experience she's very nice to her neighbor she's nice to the people at work in a sort of way where she could be kind of be bulldozed by other people mm -hmm. um which i think is what sets up this great contrast for when she becomes the babadook and the babadook's inside her because then all of a sudden she is you know taking hold of all these things and literally attacking them um which we'll get back to i'm sure anyway uh campiness let's move on so campiness is uh, rating on one to five perms and I'm going to say it only had one perm because it's not a campy movie. It is very obvious and serious mm -hmm. and um, no expense was was uh, was left. Yeah, I gave it one out of five perms as well. I think in the third act, it devolved a very slight bit into a little more like of more common exorcisty type tropes where it's kind of like, oh, let me show you through our catalog of really common things like... Let's have a little fun with fishing line. Let's tug this kid into a wall and up the stairs mm -hmm. and like some really common horror movie things that were kind of going around at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a little sillier towards the like grand finale, which I wasn't as much a fan of. But throughout the entire film, like pristine, A+, really great tension. And the design of the film is superb and the storybook way that the monster was created. So yeah, campiness, one out of five. And so gore right? One to five severed limbs. Gore is my favorite part. We've talked about this endless times, but it is a little different because we're no longer watching a classic slasher. You know, we're watching something completely different. And yeah, it's a psychological horror. Exactly. Problem. So that's why we've kind of had to change our algorithm, change our, our, um, our formula a little bit to accommodate. And that's why campiness and gore kind of flip-flop. Like campiness and gore are really high in the 80 slasher films, but they might be very low in uh, psychological horror. So I rated it a 2 just because they did have some pretty nice effects. But other than that, it wasn't a gory movie. Yeah, I rated it 2 out of 5 on the strength of literally one scene, mm -hmm. which is when Amelia um, pulls her tooth out, <laughs> which is it's basically the uh, catalyst for everything because she has this um, throbbing ache in her tooth which has been hurting her for the entire film and it's kind of like the the small foot in the door that the Babadook uses to kind of kickstart everything that's going on in the grand finale basically any gore that that's that that's that intimate and gross earns a two 
but that's kind of the only moment in the movie that's anything like that, and otherwise I would have given it a one. Although you're forgetting about the time where we see Oscar, her husband, coming back as this vision from the Babadook, and he gets sliced literally in half. That's true. That, that was a pretty good shot. Especially because there was a lot of, um, there was a weight in it, you know? It didn't look like uh -huh. like a just some doll was coming out of it after they did the, the performance. So that That's was true. Good. But the movie's not about the gore. Right. So, like, two out of five. Like, yeah. the gore effects were great when they happened, but that they weren't supposed to be the showcase. Yes. So, quality, what did you, what did you rate it? I rated it five out of five unlucky stars because I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. How about you? I rated it four out of five, just doing the math based on my other scores. Mm-hmm. But it is different because it's a psychological thr thriller. When we were doing slashers, which I'm more accustomed to because those are the movies that I've been dragged dragged along through for the last couple of years with Brennan, I'm much less... much. I, I don't know these, horror, these sorts of horror movies as well. So get me on a slasher film, totally on board. I could, I could totally be a horror fan, but then you cross into this side of the genre and it's like too stressful, <laughs> I want to leave, like where's my bathroom break? I got to go and watch a cat video and come back. Yeah, I see on your notes here, you're like, I just want to watch After the Ball. Please let me out of here. <laughs> yeah. That could have been your 10-word review. <laughs> right? <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, let's move on to champion dialogue. So Shannon, would you like to introduce yours? Yes, so mine is actually very visual, which is unfortunate because we are a podcast, an audio podcast, but it's kind of great. Um, hopefully I can do it justice explaining. So all these weird things are happening to her, and they're she's essentially going insane. She was insane, insane to begin with, but she's literally going insane now because the Babadook has really entered her life, and the book she destroys, and then it comes back, and then she decides to burn it, and her child who she didn't believe at the beginning. She, I feel like she's starting to believe him. And now Sam, her son, sees it, sees that she's trying, starting to believe him too. So she reaches out and she tells someone and they go, say, they say, go to the police. Like, if you think you're being stalked, go to the police. Why, why didn't you go to the police in the first place? So she goes to the police and says, someone's stalking me. They left this children's book with like incredibly violent images. And then they've called me on the phone and he goes, okay, well, where's the book? And she goes, I burnt it. And he's like, you burnt the book. And she says, yes. And then she like puts her hands up on the counter and her hands are like completely black from when she burnt the book. And they're and, just covered in lighter fluid. Yeah. And then you can see like the Babadook's like coat on the, like behind the police officer and all these police officers are staring at her. And so she just like takes her hands off the counter and like walks slowly backwards and says, don't worry about it. And then just like walks out. And it was kind of comical because it was very much like, these are not the droids you're looking for. Like, just very, like, nothing happened here. And then bounced. Yeah, it's just funny, because, like, there's not a lot of moments of comic relief in the film. Yeah. And so it's just, uh, it's kind of funny to see the, um, like, the children's book is actually really terrifying. And it's stuff that we've been taking so seriously for the past hour. And it's kind of um, comedic to see what everybody else thinks from the outside they're like really a kid's book that's what we've been scared of this whole time and we're like oh oh really okay fine yeah i mean this is a stretch as far as a comedic moment goes because it wasn't really funny it was just like less stressful than everything <laughs> else that was going on it's true so brandon what was your your line okay my line comes from close to the end of the film when uh, the child protective services people come or basically the australian version of whatever that is and they've come earlier in the film because basically um, the kid, Samuel, has been out of school because they've been 
really stressed out and not sleeping and he's been disobedient and they've been just dealing with all this stuff so they haven't been going to school they haven't been going to work and it's just been really a stressful traumatic time for both of them so they come back for their meeting and everything's fine and everything's great and they're having a birthday party and there's a banner and they're checking it out samuel reveals that he's never had a birthday party on the actual day of his birthday and then they have this supremely awkward exchange my husband died the day that sam was born he got killed driving mum to the hospital to have me Sam's just like his dad was. Always speaks his mind. Parties are lots of fun, especially when they're yours. And I just really love the way that the, like, the agent tries to smooth things over, just really uncomfortably. And that's probably my favorite moment of actual comedic relief. And it's actually, it is comic relief because everything's fine and nothing is scary anymore, so they can't afford to be comedic. Yeah, it was, I really like that part. I think it was also like the most redeeming point of the entire film anyway, because it's the first time that Amelia is willing to say, like talk about her husband at all. Mm -hmm. Like she, and, and I really love Amelia's character because she doesn't talk about things in general. Like she, she's so in denial and it's so, it's so real and so true. You know, she never once talks about her tooth, but the entire time she's like, got her hand on her cheek, you know? And she doesn't talk about, his, like, Sam's tendencies to other people because it's her business. And when they talk about it, she tries to shut him down. So then this is the first moment where she's like, my husband died when he was born. That's why we don't have this birthday, you know? And uh, and so I really like that. And then, the, of course, the banter afterwards and how it could have gone poorly. They could have pulled a Lilo and Stitch and been like, we're taking your kid from you. Um, <laughs> but they didn't. So that's great. It's Australia. They've seen worse. <laughs> Scorpions have killed parents. Like, oh God. it's terrible. Sharks have crawled onto the land and dragged them away. Which is where we say we know nothing about Australia. Yeah, no, everything's deadly in Australia. The worms, the scorpions, the children's books. So, Shannon, what was your favorite character? My favorite character was Sam. Uh, and I knew that we were going to talk about it, which is why I kind of held my tongue while you were talking about how he's annoying and a six-year-old and things like that but sam i think is one of the most dimensional characters in the entire film mm -hmm. which is really interesting i think it also comes hand in hand with people saying things like oh you know you need to dumb things down in order for kids to understand them that's not true kids are completely like they are completely cognizant of what's happening in their lives and when there's a sort of abuse in, in a household it affects them for the rest of their life because they can understand it, you know? So when he, he's kind of, there's this part of the movie that's really, you know, the entire movie is stressful, but the part that is like most stressful is that night where Sam and his mother are inside the house and Sam's mother like purposely goes through and locks everything in the entire house on the outside so that they're just in it together. And Sam knows that she's been taken over by the Babadook. Like, you can see it in his face, you can see it in his movements. He does some preparatory things, and it's just him and the, in, in the little dog. And they kind of run from place to place, and he is very much walking on eggshells because his mother is just... She's not right. She's not right. She's, she's either roaring at him or being very, you know kind and, and crying and trying to get him to, to do her her things, her whims. And I think for people who have experienced things like bipolar disorder or um, emotional abuse, things like that, they're going to really connect with this in a way that makes it scarier than for the rest of the general population. So I love the way that he handles the situation. I'm not going to say that I physically love that he hit his mother in the head with a ball 
trapped her in a basement and tied her up with ropes, because that's not exactly what I would imagine, but he did what was necessary in order to save his mother, and that was the entire, his entire plan throughout the entire thing, was that, you know, he loves his mother, he's going to protect her no matter what, and that he's kind of taking over this role that his father left him when he died, even though he never met his father, of just, like, he's the man of the house, he's going to help him. Man of the house is, you know, a phrase, you know, but this sort of, like, he'll protect her if she protects him. Um, and there's also a point where he says, I know you don't love me and that's okay, but I will always love you. That just, like, really hits home. That's true. He is the, like, emotional linchpin of that family. Mm-hmm. And you realize that part of the reason that he is seen as so annoying and, and irritable at the beginning of the film is because he connects with something that has been there the entire time. And that's a physical manis- manifestation when the Babadook enters. So this entire time he's saying, you know, he's scared of things, he's scared of things. And then they read this book and he gets really scared of the Babadook. And the Babadook starts to happen. And all of a sudden his concerns become real because the Babadook becomes real. And he's no longer seen as this crazy little boy because he has real fears. I feel like Amelia comes around to see them and connects with him in that way. All right. That, well, that was very well thought out. Thank Congratulations. You. That was like, you could write a thesis on the Babadook. On Sam. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite character is much simpler. Much in much less of the film. My favorite character is Robbie, who <laughs> is Amelia's co-worker. She works at an old folks home. He's only in like two scenes and he kind of has a crush on Amelia. He's basically, he represents some of the things that Amelia loses in the process of going crazy because he shows up at the house and he sees her fractured relationship with her son and he leaves. So that's basically his function in the narrative. But just, he has some really cute banter with Amelia in the beginning. And she's like, oh, I'm off to the dementia ward. And he's like, isn't it a couple years too early for that? And just, he has some cool, like, I guess I just like Australian humor. I I think he's cute. And I think they deserve to give it a shot once she gets the monster puked out of her. Yeah, he's the only character that treats her like a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think is really interesting. And I and the way it, the way that he treats her like a human being is he's willing to make jokes that other people aren't willing to make. Yeah. Like he may he like the first he enters our scope by saying, "A uh, woman in the kitchen where she belongs," you know, which could be really offensive, but because of who they are in their relationship. Yeah, it was fun. ironic. Yeah, he was my close second. So, way to go. Cool. So what was your favorite scene, Shannon? My favorite scene, I kind of talked about it a little bit. It was when uh, Sam kicks behind, when he uh, <laughs> sets up his like home alone traps that he had been having since the very beginning of the film, but he actually uses them, and he uses them on his mother. I had a feeling that they would come back into play when the Babadook manifested physically, but I didn't think he would actually use it on his mother, but he did, and it worked out great, and he's a very smart little boy, and uh, yeah, that was that's pretty much it, and just like... The, like it when the camera fades out and fades back in with her strapped to the floor <laughs> with ropes i was like wow this kid is so cool way cooler than myself no, he's very handy very yeah. six-year-old uh my favorite scene is also my uh scariest scene which is they're driving in the car and the babadook slides up the back windshield and mm-hmm. causes them to swerve around and the trees seem to kind of lunge at them and they're just going like babadook duk, duk, and it's just so stressful and it's one of the scenes where I just feel like tears are springing to my eyes just because I'm so stressed out by what's happening. And it's just a, it's a very overwhelming film. It's just so evocative. It's so interesting. I like it a lot. I had that need to cry feeling too. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Here's the part where we... Well, because we can't do the splatter dome because it's not a slasher film. It's not a body count film. The only thing that dies in this film besides her husband in the beginning is a dog. Poor dog. I'm Yeah. A moment of silence for the dog. Bugsy? Is that the dog's name? Sure. For the dog that we shall call Bugsy, a moment of silence for Bugsy. Yeah, we can't do any of the Splatterdome stuff because that's not appropriate for the Babadook. We also can't do Boff, Mary Kill because it's just a kid and a mom, so it's also not appropriate. I'm not that gross. So we're going to change some things up. We're going to introduce a new segment that we might be doing for a couple more of our modern films called The Reading Rainbow. Loyalty-free Reading Rainbow theme. And what we're going to be doing in this segment is we're going to read into the film. We're going to have a question that we center around where we analyze a little more about the film. So the question that we're going to be choosing this time is, is the Babadook real slash what does he represent? So Shannon, what is your two cents on this? Uh, I don't think he's real. I think that he... Well, okay, real is a dumb word. I think that the Babadook is fear because uh-huh. there's a lot of this dialogue about like don't let like once you let him in you can never let him go don't let him in don't let him in and then the babadook goes literally inside of amelia uh-huh. and causes her to do all these psychotic things one of the parts of this movie that i love the most is that the babadook isn't conquered like he doesn't he doesn't really he doesn't get killed you can't get rid of the babadook you can't get rid of the babadook that's part of the movie and so he just starts living in the basement and the basement is where all of Oscar um, Amelia's husband's things were and he also let's take a moment to say that he eats worms and that was a part of the movie and the Shannon one is deeply afraid of worms the one thing that I cannot stand is worms and creepy crawly squiggly things don't like them I think he's fear because you can't always because get, worms because we're worms you can't always get you can't like get rid of your fear your fear is always there you always recognize it but you have to face it and that's one of the things that she has to do when she feeds him in the end when he's living in the basement is the babadook comes up and she gets very frightened again but then she goes it's all right it's all right almost like she's you know comforting him comforting the babadook like it's some like deranged pet like Shaun of the dead zombie (laughs) pet but she's actually i feel comforting herself which is why the babadook doesn't like eat her or whatever and takes the food instead so I think it's it's just fear, and I think that fear makes us do things that we don't like, which is when fear takes her over and causes her to almost hurt her child and all and kill her dog and things like that. That's an interesting interpretation. That's one I haven't heard before. Uh, my interpretation that I've worked out over the past year <laughs> that I've rewatched this film over and over again. My interpretation is that the Babadook is the physical representation of her grief over her husband's death and her postpartum depression because she well the point is is that you can't get rid of the the babadook um part of the storybook it says uh, the more you deny the stronger i get so she keeps pushing it away the the where the babadook lives like you said is in the basement with all of her husband's stuff it gets stronger and stronger the more she ignores it and he's physically oscar yeah it manifests itself as oscar a lot it wants her to kill her son, which is to her the physical manifestation of everything that's wrong with that day that her husband died. What I see it as is the very ending finale of the film is a manifestation of you have to learn to live with your grief. You can't conquer it. You have to recognize that it's there. You can't lock it away. You have to go in there and say hi, recognize that it's there, like pet it, feed it some worms, let it breathe, let it live and recognize it 
it will never go away, but if you interact with it, you can live with it and still live a happy life. And that's how I see the Babadook. Fear, grief, yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of like two sides of the same coin there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're very connected. Like, she, she fears her life without her husband. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like what grief is in a way. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so we're, yeah. Woo! We Woo! got it. Re- first reading Rainbow, I say it's a sterling success. So I let's agree. move on to some fun stuff, because the Babadook's kind of depressing. All right. So another new thing that we're doing is something called Smackdown. Smackdown! Smackdown! Yeah, okay. So this round of Smackdown is... Who would win in a fight, the Babadook or Pazuzu from The Exorcist? And, interestingly enough, William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist, also really loved the Babadook and contributed the quote to the front of the DVD, just for the record. Oh, that's great. I'm surprised that we haven't talked about The Exorcist more in this film, because there were so it was so Exorcist, like, so Exorcist, this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both have silly names. They do. So who do you think would win in a fight, Shannon? I think Pazuzu would win. Couple reasons. One, because Pazuzu is far more profane. <laughs> two, two, because uh, as as we say in Scream Four, you don't mess with the original. <laughs> and three, because Pazuzu is the the first to the first of a horror film to just like scare me silly. Like I, uh-huh. at any time anyone walked up those stairs in Exorcist, I grabbed someone's hand and held it tight, you know, because I knew stuff was about to go down. And I just think that Pazuzu would mess the Babadook up. Okay, well, I'm gonna take the other side actually because I think Pazuzu is really lazy. Like, because he possesses Reagan, but he just kind of sits there for the entire film. He spins her head around, he spits pea soup, he uh, he kills the director guy, Burke, shoves him down the stairs, but he doesn't do very much of anything else. She's strapped to a bed! He's the. Well, okay, he's not the devil, but he's a demon! That's true. He's. Sure, he's in the body of a little girl, but like, he has demon powers. He can knock bureaus around, he can make rooms really chilly, I guess. He's not doing anything. He's just lying around. The, I mean, the Babadook hasn't exhibited any really special powers besides arranging hats and coats very artfully, but I feel like he could do more than just lounging around in some kid's bed. Like, he's more active, and I think that he's more crafty. Yeah, I also think that they, they both... Like, they both have a similar way of, like, making you scared first, right? Uh-huh. But the Babadook makes you scared in kind of like a, like, scared because of your self-level, and Pazuzu makes you scared because of, like, a societal level. Like, uh-huh. that's why he says all these profane things, and he, like, you know, does the thing with the cross in the place that we shouldn't talk about, and... Uh-huh. So it's just, I think, they, I just want to get them in the same room. I just want to know what yeah, we gotta, happen. We'll Smackdown. Just, what do you guys, who do you guys think would win? I think, well, because you can't get rid of the Babadook, and you can get rid of Pazuzu, so. I don't know. I we'll see. I think Pazuzu would mess people up. We'll have to watch The Exorcist 2, and then decide. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen that. Okay. All right, and our second game, because can't do Bob Murray Kill, is sequelize this where if we made a sequel to this film what would it be about let's see if we made a sequel i think it would be sam is a teenager uh-huh. and he's dating his significant other any gender doesn't matter but they recently lost someone in their life and all of a sudden the babadook is back or if it's you know that's that's going on off the grief theory but if it's just fear then something happens in, in his significant other's life where the Babadook comes back and Sam comes in and just goes evil dead ash on Babadook's bootay and takes him down 
through this process of like them learning as a couple, learning how to conquer this together. Okay, that's a good one. You liked Sam more than I did. That's true. I appreciate your appreciation of Sam, and I appreciate Sam as a character, but I don't really particularly care about seeing him again. Yes. What I would want is the Babadook is sent to another family. Mm -hmm. He's, or another like single parent, whatever. Um, and then in the third act, they discover Amelia. Like they research, they find out that, that someone else has seen the Babadook. Like they find her police file or something. Mm -hmm. And they find Amelia and she becomes like the, uh, like the Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist. Like the medium who has to like come and help out because she's seen the menace before and she has to like help them solve the Babadook problem. <laughs> I think that'd be cool. All right. I think that's our sequel. Let's move on to our closing statements. Shannon, do you have a film to recommend for people who agree with you about The Babadook? I'm just going to go original and just say The Exorcist. If you haven't seen The Exorcist, see The Exorcist. It's true. Don't see it alone. Don't see it in a bedroom on top of stairs. Uh, don't be wearing a white nightgown. <laughs> and um, keep your crucifix tightly on your wall. Uh, but otherwise, Exorcist is amazing and it's wonderful. And we actually saw it at Cinespia a couple years ago mm -hmm. at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And that was really bomb. So if you can do, if that happens again, do it that way because that was the best. Yeah, Shannon is actually a very special modern teen because she was very profoundly impacted by The Exorcist and I'm very, very proud of her for having that happen. I love The Exorcist and I hope I never have to see it again because it was <laughs> so scary. That's a great film. And my recommendation is The Descent, which is a Neil Marshall film about a bunch of British women who go up uh, down into uh, they go spelunking into a cave and they get trapped there with is awesome but it also is another film that shows a tough side of motherhood it's really powerful it's really scary and it's one of the best films of the 2000s and you should check it out part of our closing is how you can contact us you can contact us in several different ways we'll start with Facebook scream 101 podcast Twitter at scream 101 pod tumblr scream 101 podcast.tumblr.com email Scream101podcast at gmail.com. You guys are kind of getting this, right? It's all Scream101podcast or Scream101pod. Or most importantly, iTunes, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate it. Uh, we would love to hear some feedback. Love to hear if you are getting the clues, or if the clues are too hard, or if the clues are just super dumb. Either way, love to hear from you. So that is it. And speaking of clues, we got to move on to our clue for this week. The remake of our next film connects the Disney Channel original series Even Stevens, the original Star Wars trilogy, and Bruce Willis's junk. And we will be playing you out with the theme song to Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, which is a TV show that Amelia watches in The Babadook.
Bye. Bye.